Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Anne. Anne Poirier is an intuitive eating and anti-diet coach, lifestyle strategist, and author. She founded Shaping Perspectives, a a woman's way to joy, to help women transform their eating, thinking, moving, body, and health. Drawing on her own transformational journey, she created the Body Joyful Solution. So we're going to talk about your journey today. Awesome. (laughs) I'm so excited. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, Megan, for having me. I would love for you to start us out. So uh, when you applied, you talked about having a negative body image when you were younger and what that led to. If you could share that with us, um, that would be really appreciated because I think starting off in that point will help uh, women understand, you know what you're talking about. You've been there. You've had your own struggles. Right. And, and so many women have, right. Right. It's such a hard journey to walk with our bodies in this society, especially as kids grow up, right. Mm -hmm. And get older. And that's, I think where my passion has changed. So I started as a child, just engulfed in diet culture. I think that's really the best way to explain it. Uh, I didn't look like the other kids. I had to go to a different section of the store to buy my clothes um, had the doctor tell my mom, you know, you better watch what she eats. Cause she's on the high side of the scale in this, you know, all of these kind of messages, I call them seeds were planted in my mm-hmm. head that I just, I didn't look right. I was wrong the way I looked. And that's how I started this, you know, what's wrong with me. Why don't I look like the other girls? And I remember specifically in gym class in seventh grade. Now we're talking back in the seventies and the little red gym suits we had to put on. Oh yes. I remember these. I I mean, I didn't wear them, but I remember pictures. (laughs) They were horrific. And I remember in, cause in elementary school, you just wear your clothes and why can't you just wear your clothes? And so all of a sudden you're thrown in a locker room and with a pair of shorts that are polyester, these stretchy, yucky feeling pants, and t-shirts and you have to get undressed in front of all the other girls and all the other girls are looking at each other. And I just remember being horrified and having to go up to actually get a different size because the size I got was too small and then tugging and pulling at them. And that was like this starting spot of, I've got to do something. I've got to change myself. I can't, I can't keep looking like this or feeling like this. And that's when I went on my first diet. And if you can, if you can remember, you know, diets just started coming into play in the late sixties, early seventies. And I jumped right on the bandwagon, right. When they got started drinking tab and all of the things that, that you did then. And my very first diet, I was very good at it, quote unquote, because (laughs) I, uh, because I ended up losing weight and then losing more weight and then losing more weight until my parents were extremely worried about me. Mm. And this is where um, we learned with my mother's relentless searching for something 
because she'd lost me. She didn't know who I was anymore. Right. And uh, so she found a book and um, around eating disorders and realized that I had anorexia nervosa and she got me help. And that's what started a journey in that period of time when I'm 12, 13, 14, 15 really is when I started to come out of it. But this whole period of adolescence, I don't remember much of anything because I was consumed with body image, weight, counting calories, doing sit-ups in my room. It was this, this compulsive exercise, uh, eating, calculating game that I was playing all the time. And it wasn't until I ended up in the hospital and realized that, you know, I had to do something. And yeah. I was always cold and, and just was miserable, you know, thin and miserable, right? And right. it's just <laughs> thinking that thin was going to be the perfect answer, the way society tells us. If, if you're just, if you just look like this, then everything is good. You'll be happy and you'll be successful and all of these other things and realizing that I was just miserable. So I came, you know, I came through my anorexia, but, but what unfortunately happened is it still led me to pretty much kind of this compulsive behavior, obsessive behavior, and it just shifted. So it went from food and eating and exercising to playing soccer. So I ended up, you know, starting to be obsessed with soccer and it was something that I could do. My parents were proud of me, you know, I fit in mm. and I was able to eat and yet it was still controlling my weight. So there was still, there was still something there. And so soccer just kind of spiraled into my next obsession. And even at college, when I played in college, having um, freedom with food and gaining weight and coming home and feeling um, like, I've like I've disappointed my parents once again, because now I'm heavy versus thin, right? So you can right. see the disappointment in them. And because I mean, wonderful parents, great parents that have the same ideals as the rest of society. Right. You know, that you, sh you, you should be fit and thin. And that's, you know, was what they expected. My brother was so, right. Um, that, so that's my, I just started this yo-yo journey from college on. And I graduated college playing soccer, but also with a degree in fitness. And so I jumped right into the fitness game. And that was kind of this, just it, it was a, it fueled my disorder, basically. Mm. Never feeling quite good enough as a fitness professional. You had to look a certain way. And so it was this constant um, drive to be better, do better, look better. Right. And for decades, you know, so uh, I got out of school and was teaching, you know, 20 classes a week and doing fitness. I know, crazy, s silly, stupid. So thing. many calories <laughs> you're burning there. <laughs> it was, it was obsessive. That's mm. the thing. You know, I was obsessed with having to look a certain way right? and completely miserable still, right? It just, it never was good enough. 
I was never good enough. I could never look at my body and it was, it was enough. Mm. Right. And unfortunately, when there is restriction, there's binging. So I was going back and forth between this over exercising and then binging. So it was a whole slew of continued disordered eating for a long time. And this is where my story gets a little bit altered because I, I came out of fitness because I needed to make some more money. Wasn't paying very right. well. Right. And I got a job um, on a fire department in New Hampshire. And I was the first female firefighter in this particular department. And because of that, I wanted to fit in. And so it was an easier place for me to fit in with the, with the guys kind of quote unquote, it was just another one right. of the guys. And so it, eating was much more fun, enjoyable. I was good at the job. I was strong enough. I was able to do everything. And that's where I met my future husband. And so when I met him and we ended up getting married, I left the fire department and I jumped right back into fitness. And this is a whole other side of my story that finds my, I find myself back in obsessive behaviors right. in, you know, it just, it didn't really go away. I get pregnant. I had two amazing daughters and being pregnant was the first time that I felt free. I remember mm. specifically feeling, okay, it's okay to eat. I'm it's supposed okay. to eat. I'm supposed to eat, yeah. right? And my body is going to change and it's okay. And society tells me it's okay. And it can look whatever, however it looks. And um, it, I just remember this freedom of being pregnant. And then after I had my first daughter, um, falling directly back into the- Right, because your body looks nothing like <laughs> it did before. Right. They don't tell you that. They just, <laughs> you think you're going to just um, flip a switch and, and have right. a baby and go right back to where you were. Right. Um, but that's, I just, I fell right back into, into my own disorder again. I, I got pregnant fairly quickly again, freedom, peace, and then destruction. So during this whole time, um, my husband at the time and myself, we had our relationship wasn't very good. Mm. And so there was um, addiction on his side, addiction on my side, not listening, not taking responsibility, not being there for each other, not helping each other out. And it, it blew up. Um, so when the girls were in their early teens, um, we ended up getting divorced. And that spiraled me once again into another space of uh, drinking too much, right? And, and eating too much and running all the time and still working out. So it was this, again, this obsessive compulsive space. And it wasn't really until my body started to break down and I couldn't do the things that I thought I needed to do or I thought I had to do. And it was at that point when I said, something's got to give. Mm -hmm. right? um, one of my kind of shifting moments was while I was in a hospital, actually ready to get my leg, my, my tibia broken in order to keep pounding on my leg and keep wow. running. 
because they called it an osteotomy or something like that. It was a, it was a particular surgery that they could do so that you could keep doing the things that you're doing. And it was when the doctor came in and he said, you know, if I get in there and your knee is too bad, we're not going to be able to do this. And I knew when he left, I, I just, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And as I sat there, it was kind of this, you know, they say that, that um, moment where you go, what, what the heck, what the heck am I doing? Where am I? What am I doing now? I, I can't go on like this. Right. And so when I was recovering, I did not get the surgery. I was recovering from that. And they ended up doing a full knee replacement for me. That's when I just started everything shaped, everything changed. I started to write and journal and um, blog and, and what am I going to do? This isn't working for me. With all of that, I went back to school. So I went back to um, my alma mater and I got my degree in, in eating disorder specialist degree. And with that, I learned so much. The doors opened up to why diets don't want work, how mm. I was kind of brainwashed in this whole society with this is the way you should look. This is what you should eat. This is how you should be. All of, the, all, all of a sudden I said, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody tell me that this is all wrong? Like that this doesn't work, <laughs> right? Right. So um, a couple of the books that really helped me out were Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon and Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Reich and um, uh, Evelyn Trebol and Elise Reich. So those two books, and I had to, I had to read them for my classes, right. changed everything. I learned the research. I just... It was, um, it was much like being pregnant. I was, fr I was kind of freed from the standard that I held on so tightly to as a belief system. And I was able to say, wait a minute, I don't have to hold on to that anymore. I don't have to be that person. I don't have to believe that anymore. And I, I had some really heart to heart talks with my daughters because I was not a good role model for them as they were growing up around food and eating and body. And so, you know, it's been so rewarding to take responsibility for my own behavior and to own up to my mistakes and to say, hey, I didn't know any better. This is just where my story leads me. And I'm so grateful that I found a different way and some different thoughts and some different behaviors to go with it, to change the trajectory of my life and to change the trajectory of my daughter's lives, right. right? Which is that much more impactful and important. And I think that that's what my mission ends up kind of sliding to is that how can we help our next generation not right. have to, to think they have to be a certain size or eat a certain way or move their body a certain way you know, why, why can't we open the door to just a more relaxed, accepting, appreciative way of being with our bodies, right? Yeah. What was that? What would that look like? Yeah. Our children learn from us. Mm. Um, I, I, I know this personally because my teenager ended up uh, uh, like repeating the same behaviors I did. And I have to be very mindful not to 
to criticize my body and not to pick it apart for the little ones. Cause I too have a journey of, you know, struggling with my weight. When I was really little kid, I was always really skinny because I was running around and I was doing all these things. And then I hit puberty and then I kind of like gained weight. uh, And then I started comparing my body size to others. And in my school, they would make all the girls go to the nurse's office and weigh like weigh in like once a year. And then I remember my six foot tall friend, like we were walking down the hallway and I was really upset because I weighed a hundred and 20, 140 pounds. I don't remember. I think it was 120 pounds. And she goes, me too. And I'm like, I'm five, six. She's six foot tall. And I was just like, I'm so fat. And then, you know, my parents divorced and I started binge eating to like, you know, help feel better. Cause food was like, oh, that was comfort. It made me feel good. And of course that made me gain weight. And then I started like starving myself. So I would you know, lose some weight. And then I gain the weight and then I lose the weight. And then, you know, I've had four kids. So after like having my twins, my body looked nothing like it did when I got pregnant with my teenager, when I was like 17 and looking back at those pictures, I'm like, Oh no, I can, I have that body back. Um, and then I became a fitness coach, which it was such a horrible mindset. It was toxic It was, I had to look a certain way. I had to starve myself to look a certain way. At one point I was eating 1200 calories, um, like a a day, which is not healthy for anybody listening. Uh, at one, at at the same point in time, I was working at one, two hours a day, um, you know, cause I had to fit the mold of what these fitness coaches look like for my clients. And it got really bad to where my like collarbone was like popping out. My husband was like super concerned myself with like working out so much. And then finally my body just gave up. It was just like, screw this. We're not doing this anymore. And I had like chronic fatigue and I felt awful. Um, and then ever since it's been like, uh, an, I, like not long after I quit being a fitness coach, I got diagnosed with bipolar type two. And I just happened to be one of the few lucky individuals, and I say that sarcastically, <laughs> that my medication has caused me to gain weight. So over like the last two years, I've gained 50 pounds. And that's been really difficult for me because I was so obsessive about losing weight and calories and everything like that, that I've had to like prevent myself. Um, now looking back, I believe they call it orthorexia because I was so obsessive about everything I was eating and working out. And I have to like undo that and not fight myself so much. I was crying. (laughs) Ironically, we're talking the weekend or the day after I cried over, like I was packing up all these clothes and putting them in in bags because I was like holding on to them, hoping I would lose all the weight. And I have been eating well, but not starving myself and doing yoga. But because of the medication, it makes me like it, 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 it makes me resistant to weight loss. Right. So I'm like crying and to my husband, I'm like, I don't feel good. I was like, I'm so fat. And he was just like, Meg, you were practically killing yourself a couple of years ago and your mental health was a wreck. And he was like, you're stable now. And he was like, even if that means you've gained some weight, he was like, wouldn't you rather be stable? And I'm like, I do have to have me. I'm stable, but oh my God. 
but um it, it takes me I, like i was saying back to when originally started this it, it you know my teenager witnessed that fitness coach and me starving myself and so she kind of got into like the whole i need to lose weight and i need to and she's like almost six feet tall she's like super like slender and it was it's hard to like watch and I've had to talk to her about it but for the little girls I tried to be like very mindful of like not calling myself fat in front of them and not talking about weight and not like food shaming myself or food shaming them like and just trying to like have that mixture of like yeah we can have treats and but we also um my I I cook for the family like every night and so like we have like a, a, a semi-healthy dinner. Um, so like, it's a hard, it's, so it's ironic we're talking about this because it's a hard struggle to unlearn all those things I learned as a fitness coach. That's so toxic. It was so bad. And this focus on like eating so healthy that like, it's almost unhealthy for you. <laughs> Right. Starving yourself (laughs) and like working all the time. And I found like with the fatigue that came from that, I needed to do yoga because my body needs that like flow and relaxation and the stretching and not overdoing it with like, I was doing like freaking, um, insanity max 30 and like, Uh, (laughs) then I'd follow up up with like something equally as it's wild. It was just, I completed a Spartan race during that time, which was great, but like <laughs> I was killing myself. So that's my story. And that's, so mm. I've had this, a similar struggle to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very, it's very parallel, isn't it? Just yeah. that whole, um, the way the fitness industry is, and there's so many good things about moving our bodies. And I, and I get that. And I, and that's part of what I teach is, you know, how do we move our bodies with joy and play and have some fun with them and listen to your body. Everybody's different and it doesn't matter how much time and this freelance kind of. Right. Not punishing uh, yourself for eating pizza that weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's more of a, it's just a, a, a want to do versus Mm -hmm. a have to do or should do or need to, you know, all those other terms that just make it feel like punishment, like you say, right. Yeah. So yeah. That's that, why I love yeah. yoga because I don't feel like it's a punishment. I, I feel good afterwards. And, you know, um, on the, I have a deal with myself. I don't have a lot of time on the weekdays because taking the kids to school and having to do work and having to do like, I'm in college too. And so trying to do all of that, I don't have as much time. And I'm one of those people, if I don't get it done in the morning, it's not happening. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just not happening. So I do 15 minutes, uh, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend I do longer ones because I have more time and I'm like, I feel good. Cause if I can just get in that 15 minutes, like that's great. It helps me relax. It helps me feel good. Where Megan a couple years ago would have been like, no, if we don't get in like at least 30 minutes, if not an hour, like we've yeah. messed up. Yeah. So interesting. The different belief system that we have around it and how it is possible to change. You know, we can, we can't look at our beliefs and say, Hey, there's, I don't have to believe that anymore. And, and step into kind of some of that, the seeds that I, I think about the, the seeds that we get planted when we're kids is to look mm-hmm. a certain way or to be a certain way. And then we're, we're fed that over and over and over again, no pun, right. no pun intended. Right. It's just, a, it's constant. And in today's society, it's all over. You can't even get away from it. No. Right? And, and there's all this, there's new research about, um, you know, the children on zoom all the time and 
and looking at themselves and comparing themselves to others. And so the whole body dysmorphia piece is playing into, you know, um, our society as well. And the only way we can start to change and combat that is if, if we as parents and as adults and as teachers and coaches and all of that can just have a little bit healthier relationship with our body. And, and that can look so different for everybody. You know, yeah. part of, part of the journey is like defining your health. What's your health? What's healthy for you? Right. right. Versus what's healthy for all those other people over there and over there and over there and over there. Right. What about me? What, how, what feels good for me? Yeah. I remember to- as a kid, my mom talking about her weight all the time and was always working out. And then she would like, feel like she had to eat differently because you know, she was gaining the weight and then, you know, she used to play softball and then she messed up her knee and couldn't play for a while. And then all these things, but she constantly talked about her weight and constantly talked about like how small she was before she had kids and all of these things, which kind of like internally as a kid, I was like, this is my, my fault. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's my fault that you look like this. Like, and I just, I say to my kids, like my body is just way different than it was before I had kids because it never will it's stretched out. It's like, you know, I need a chiropractor because my back's all messed <laughs> up. Like all of these things that happen after you have children that people don't really like, it's never going to go back to the way it was. Like your body is like created a whole human being, multiple human beings, possibly. And it's just not going to look the same. Exactly. And I think that's the key right there is to just start to accept who we are and, and look at our past and, you know, the beautiful humans that you've created. And so it's no wonder that that's been kind of planted in your head to, to look a certain way or to be a certain way or to f- fight for that. And then to have that kind of taken away a little bit in, in your own journey makes it makes it really hard to overcome and so i i i applaud you for cleaning out your closet because i think that that's a really it's a helpful piece you know Mm -hmm. it's not it's not if if you open your closet and you look in there and it just makes you feel bad that's a choice you you know we're making right why right right and i had to make the choice of like mental stability or having the weight that I used to be at. Hmm. And then my husband right now is reading or listening to a book on bipolar disorder. And he was just like, when I'm talking to him, he was like, yeah, that's what the book says. There's a lot of medications. Mine's not supposed to make you lose weight except for 5% of people. So apparently I fall under that because my eating hasn't changed but my weight has just increased. And so he was like, that happens, but like, don't you want to be stable? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like you're not, you're not, it doesn't impact you. You're not upset about it. I'm the only one upset about it. (laughs) And so that was like very cathartic too. And I had a good cry and I was just like, okay, once I got done the cry, I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. All right. We're good to go. (laughs) And the cry I think is a part of it though, you know, to be, to allow yourself those emotions, to allow yourself to be sad or to grieve or to forgive someone or to forgive yourself or all of those things. You know, we, we were taught not to show certain emotions because they're wrong or bad. And I think part of healing is uh, being allowed to show emotion 
right. and allowing ourselves to release that, you know what, this hurts, this is sad and I'm okay with it. And right? it makes it so difficult because like you said, you can't, you can't escape diet culture. Like no. I was, I shared, um, so Sunday, yesterday, uh, we're talking, people won't hear this for like a month, but we're talking February 15th. And so on Valentine's day, I was celebrating my two years of being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I shared this post on Facebook about my journey and about how my, you know, my medication has caused me to gain weight and how that's kind of a sacrifice for my mental stability and how people will deal with that. And I had to put like an exclamation, like, this is not an invitation for people to try to sell me things on how to lose weight, because I know, I know how to eat healthy. I'm moving my body. I was like, I just wait, weight loss resistant right now. And it's sad. I have to make that caveat because every time I share about like, you know, struggles or like my journey from being like unhealthily skinny to where I am now that you have like fitness coaches and diet coaches and MLM people hop right into your inbox. Like I can help you. And I'm like, I know what to do. It's not working. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks anyway. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I'll take it from here. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because there's always going to be somebody that people, people are going to look differently and think differently because that's what they've been fed. Right. That's right. the culture. That's the culture that's out there. Um, but I, I know because I've worked with lots of people in lots of different size bodies and you can be very healthy in a smaller body and in a larger body. You can yes. be very unhealthy in a smaller body and in a larger body. I mean, have you seen Lizzo? Like, yeah, yeah she does like all these like flips and tricks and dancing and all this stuff on stage, the woman is healthy, (laughs) (laughs) but she's in a larger body. And, you know, people don't even take that into account. They're just like, oh, she must be unhealthy. I'm like, have you seen her on stage? No unhealthy person can do that kind of stuff. (laughs) Right. And I always think about like the way that we talk to ourselves too. Mm -hmm. So about when you think about health, if someone's in a smaller body and is constantly beating themselves up and constantly uh, restricting or binging or over-exercising, that mentally isn't a healthy game versus someone who might be in a larger body, but is just feels good Mm -hmm. and is is accepting and appreciative of their body and does the things that they want to do. Like there's a whole think mentally, if you think about the, the mental health piece of it, they're in a, in a much healthier place mentally because they're not beating themselves up every day and they're, and they're not falling victim of that, um, of diet culture really in society's right. an ideal. And that's, that's the big, that's the big message, right? So what out. has helped you stay healthy um, and what helps your clients stay healthy but not fall into that rabbit hole of over-exercising, diet culture, binging and purging, and you know all the things that come with this, this image we're given, right? And thank goodness, more and more we're seeing a diverse bodies be 
put on covers of magazines and, uh, you know, shown in different ways. That's very helpful. And hopefully we continue on that path and continue to see such a wide range of bodies on the catwalk and, you know, all these places where people are looking, you know, Um, but we're not quite there yet. So we still have this diet is on almost every cover, you know, you're still seeing people who are like, I don't look like that. Mm-hmm. How, what's helped you and helped your clients not fall into that, but still stay healthy. Right. And it, you know, it's all about really rejecting diet culture and saying, you know what? I'm not, I think that my biggest, my biggest success was when I said, I'm just not doing this anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to be a size that I'm not. Right. I'm tired of, um, always worried about what other people are thinking. I'm tired of the comparing game. I am not dieting anymore, period. So I jumped all in. And so if that's the case, what am I going to do? Right. So what, what do I do? And that's where we start to say, okay, well, what does your body say? We get so disconnected from our body and what our bodies like and don't like. And so I, that's the intuitive eating piece is that I'm teaching women, mostly I teach all women. Um, right. So, uh, cause I'm a woman and it, and it, it's, it connects with me. Right. That's so- why I follow women. I do Gaia.com for my yoga. And that is why I only follow the, uh, women. Um, like I only do the yoga from the women and it's not because I don't like the men, but I feel like a woman is more in tune with what a woman's body needs versus mm-hmm. a man being in tune with what a woman's body needs. Right. Right. And I think that that's such a, an uh, for me, it helps me connect better mm-hmm. and, and understand and be more compassionate and be more empathetic and, and be able to have the conversations around, well, what does that feel like in your body? You know, how does food, do you even know what it feels like to be hungry? Do you know what it feels like to be full? What are the messages that you're saying to yourself after you mm-hmm. eat food? What is the body saying to yourself? You know, are you feeling Uh, are you burping all the time? Or, you know, are you running to the bathroom? Like, what does your body tell you about the food that you're eating and really starting to tune in to our bodies? Because our bodies do know if we pause long enough to allow ourselves to listen, you know, quiet ourselves and allow ourselves to listen to what it needs and what it doesn't need. I always talk about how it's so interesting when we're kids, you know, when we're three or four or five and we say we're hungry and it's five o'clock at night parents will go you know um wait for dinner you know hold on you know we don't want to spoil your dinner and then so they're getting kind of a disconnect from their hunger cues at an early age and then on top of that they sit down and have their dinner and they eat half and then they're full and parent says oh finish your plate right so there's Mm -hmm. this disconnect that starts really early and food is used as a reward and it's used as a punishment. So I think we just have, we have to relearn about food and eating and about our bodies and what our bodies need. I found for any of the parents listening um, that asking my kids, cause my kids are old enough to decide how much they want, right? Mm-hmm. Being like, what, how much of this do you want? Um, allowing them to make that choice. And a lot of times they're starting to learn, like I might just, they might just take a little bit at first. And then they're like, I can always go back for seconds if I'm still hungry. Um, And that has helped them be more in tune with like 
how am I feeling? Am I like really hungry? Am I kind of hungry? Like, and also I find like, we're not wasting a bunch of food with having to throw it out because they're allowed to be in tune with like, how much do they want? And maybe it's something they really don't like. So they don't want a lot of it and they're not going to eat it. So, I mean, they're not going to eat a lot of it. So we just go, my son's on ADHD medication, which kind of like dampens his appetite. And so not forcing him as long as he's eating and not like, you know, losing a lot of weight unhealthily, just letting them choose that. And it's been really helpful as a parent to allow that to happen. And we're not wasting food. And then I'm not being like, well, you need to eat that. And they're like, well, I'm not hungry. They can choose on their own how much they want. Mm, That's so great. And that's, that's what we need to continue to teach. I think so. I'm glad that that's how, and I think that your struggle, right. And your story has helped you come to that point of, of helping them learn what their bodies want and don't want. And so I think that that's the approach I use for everything. That's the approach I use for moving our bodies. And and that's the approach I use for self-care and how we talk to ourselves. You know, I, I think a lot of it is, has to do with how we beat ourselves up and our expectations of ourselves and, and everything that we push onto ourselves thinking, you know, thinking that it's going to motivate us or thinking that it's going to help us. I'm so stupid. I'm so fat. I'm so lazy. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so right. And all of those things that take us down that don't help, you know, how have those, those voices been working for you? And are we able to say, "Hmm, maybe not so much. So what's a more compassionate, kinder way we can talk to ourselves and treat ourselves because once we can treat ourselves more kindly, we tend to eat, to fuel our bodies. We listen, we move our bodies, we take care of ourselves. You know, we do all of those things when we care about ourselves or when we kind of like ourselves. Right. I feel like social media doesn't help with this because we're comparing ourselves to everybody else. And mind you, I've said, I see that I say this when I was a life coach, I said this all the time to my clients is you're comparing yourself either to somebody's highlight reel or somebody's like, woe is me. Like there is very few that's in between, right? Just where like, it's every day. It's like, Hey, all these things are going great for me. And you know, like, for example, I share a lot of great things about my husband because I don't believe social media is a place to like, talk about like our personal, like, you know, arguments or disagreement. I shouldn't say arguments, disagreements or the things that we're going through because it's really not anybody's business. Um, what like, what, what's really personal for us. Right. So like, it looks like my marriage is like perfect and everything's great. And somebody on the outside who's struggling with their marriage might look and be like, Oh my God, she, they have it. So together. And I'm like, I'm just not sharing the parts that are bad. So like, we see this on social media and people are sharing, like, look at how much weight I've lost, but they're not talking about like how much weight when they're gaining the weight, they're not talking about that. Like Mm -hmm. we have, like, we see these like perfect pictures of people and we start comparing ourselves and mind you there's certain I've learned this as a fitness coach there's certain angles you can take pictures at that make you look skinnier like all these things that people don't even realize they're just seeing this unrealistic um expectation on social media and I don't think that's helping no I I completely agree with you 100 percent because that's there's the comparison piece right and with it the the quote from Mark Twain comparison is the thief of joy 
right? If we're comparing ourselves to other people who aren't us, who haven't had our experiences, who right. haven't, we don't have our beliefs, don't have our bodies, nobody is like us. And yet we're comparing ourselves to all these other people and their, their highlight reel, like you said, right. right? And it's, it's, how do you, how do you even compare yourself like that? Yeah. I wish I could undo the damage I made as a fitness coach where people were like, Oh my God, I get message all the time. Oh my God. I wish I could look like you. And I'm like, Oh, these are things you can do. Not telling them like I'm, I'm eating like 1200 calories a day. Mm -hmm. Like I, I would skip food just to have a glass of wine. Like that's how bad it was. Like, cause I needed to have that certain calorie intake in my head and I'm working out like you know, an hour, sometimes two hours a day, like not healthy, but I'm like, these are the things you can do. Not telling them like, I wasn't doing those things. (laughs) I know. I know. I, I remember, I, I do think part of my transition out of fitness came from, I don't want to be part of the problem anymore. Right. You know, I was part of the problem. How can I be part of the solution? Yeah. What does it look like to be part of the solution? I think sharing stories like we are right now is, is part of the solution. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Knowing that you're not alone in the, in the desire or the need or the feeling that you need to be a certain way and how can, that there is another way, there is another answer. And I, it's, it truly comes down to accepting of self, right? How can, how can I start to look at myself differently? You know, the company name is Shaping Perspectives and it's, and it's that because how can we look at ourselves with a different perspective, right? How can I look at my body with a different perspective? How can I look at food with a different perspective? How can I look at exercise with a different um, perspective? As soon as we change the way we see things, the way we see things change, right? Right. One of those quotes, Wayne Dyer or something, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> one of those people. One of, one, of those, one of those brilliant people. Yeah. So, uh, but that, I think once we start to realize we can look at ourselves differently and think of ourselves differently and be open and open the door and give ourselves permission to do that, that's when things can change for our life. Yeah. Our life. And I love how you pointed out, like everybody, everybody's situation is different. Like your genetics might be different. Your environment might be different. Your mental health might be different. Maybe the medications you're on, like in my, my, um, experience, like all these things that play in, maybe you've had like six children and your body is just never going to go back. To what it once was, I mean, four kids, two kids, one kid, they they never is going to go back to what it was. All of these things play into this. Um, What are you doing for work? Like, does that require a lot of sitting? Mine requires a lot of sitting. So that definitely does not help. But like all of these things play into where we are. And I like how you said we have to accept who we are right now and not be like picking ourselves apart and kind of like tune into like, what do I need? do I just need a day to like relax and that's okay for me to be a little lazy and just relax on the couch and watch some TV because maybe I need that just downtime. And no, I've learned this with my mental health journey is like, if I'm feeling depressed, that's not the time that I'm going to be productive and pushing myself to be super productive during that time. Not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's the time where I give myself permission to like, just, just relax, take a nap, do whatever. Um, it's not always, 
I'm not always able to do that because sometimes like, you know, life is like, nope, you have other responsibilities, but when you can tuning to those things that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your morning, you know, your morning little routine to your 15 minutes of yoga or whatever, or whatever that is, I think that's such an important part of a stepping stone for taking care of yourself. You know what I call it a morning 10 and I say, do whatever you want for 10 minutes in the morning, but that that's where we start because if I say, do whatever you want for an hour, people are like, I don't have an hour, right? With 10 minutes. Yeah. I could probably do 10 minutes, you know, and then it, we can slowly increase it or it stays at 10 or 15 minutes and it's perfect. Works out yeah. perfectly for people. So um, that's part of that self-care journey and listening to yourself. And that's what it seems like that you're doing too, is you're just starting to listen to what you need and then allowing yourself to ask that question. What do I need? What's the best thing for me right now? Right. That's how I start out with meditation. I use headspace. It's my favorite, like, because Mm -hmm. it just kind of like guides me and I'm like, this is great. Um, And they have different like levels and different, like if you subscribe, they have different things you can do. Um, And I start out with five minutes, right? Five minutes of meditation. I just have to do five minutes. And someday that's all I can do. Like I, I have a lot going on. But most days I try to get 15, but I, I stopped being like so hard on myself that I have to get the 15. Five minutes is okay. Like if that's all I have in the day or I'm, I really, you know, five minutes. And I like that you said that. But um, as we wrap up the podcast today, what is something that you'd like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I think, I think the biggest thing that women can do is give themselves permission to tune into themselves to start to accept who they are and look at themselves differently. You know, not comparing and allowing social media and allowing our society to tell you how to feel or to tell you how to look, what to look like. What does it look like to to just be accepting of of self, you know, and everything that we do for ourselves. I think about it as a bank account, everything that we do for ourselves that goes into the bank account. You know, five minutes of yoga, um, five minutes of journaling, it all goes in. And if there's a couple days that we don't get to it because life gets in the way, that's okay. It didn't, it, we didn't drain it out. We just, oh, I gotta, you know, start depositing a little bit more in there. And so how does, what does it look like to start depositing your self-care in your movement and in food and eating and fuel and sleep and, you know, decreasing stress, all those things. How can we look at them differently and just start to, to ask ourselves what we need? And that's what you were just saying. How do we give ourselves permission to ask ourselves what we need and then allow ourselves to figure out a way to step into that, right? One step at a time. (laughs) You got it. You got it, right? You don't have to see the whole staircase. (laughs) No. Well, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. It's been great to talk to you and share, um, share our stories that are very similar. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.